Joseph back here on the Jared the Boss Man Show. We're joined by friend of the show, football game plan. He he has the game plan for you. He can got the X's and O's. He know what to tell you inside zone, outside zone, trap, crack, crack back. Blade. He got it all for you. A football game plan, my man, Emery Hunt. Emery, long time no here, my good brother. How is life on your end, man? Hey, man, long time no here, man. I appreciate you bringing me on. Life is good, man. He's ready to talk some ball. Yes, indeed. Well, we have it on David McGinnis after you. I want to talk to you about the Jags-Titans game and the trust of Blake Bortles because Blake Bortles lights out against the Patriots. Then he plays the Titans, who had always been the Jaguars' bugaboo, whether good or bad. The Jaguars get the Titans' trouble all the time. But Jacksonville has a world-class defense. They have weapons, but can you trust the quarterback to make plays with those weapons? And can Leonard Fournette stay healthy and off the in- in- injury report week with those hamstring and foot injuries? He always seems to have a crop up since the days of LSU. Yeah, that's, that's the thing, man. When you look at the Jacksonville Jaguars, they have a back that has these, these hamstring injuries, these fast-twitch injuries. It, it's it's always tricky. You want to be sure he's fully 100% healthy before you throw him back out there. But I do believe Jacksonville can generate offense. Uh, T.J. Yeldon, Corey Grant, good backs. Uh, they have a good stable of receivers. Defensively is where they hang their hat. But they really have to make sure a guy like uh, Blake Bortles can really step up and continue to play consistent ball. He had a good week, and then last week he went back to normal. He has to have a lot of good weeks in order for the team to reach his fullest potential. Yeah, and, and yeah, he has to, man, because I feel like the only thing about that game I don't trust is him. I trust everybody about Jacksonville, but Blake Bortles, the quarterback. And that's why if I was Jacksonville, Emory, I would have gave Drew Brees two years, $80 million, and make him turn me down to try to win it now <laughs> if I was Jacksonville this offseason. Yeah, I, I don't blame you, man. If you're, I'm surprised they didn't take a quarterback in the draft. I'm surprised they didn't go after, let's say, a Teddy Bridgewater uh, or even a Tyrod Taylor um, when he, earlier in the summer when it was looking like Baker Mayfield will probably play sooner rather than later. Uh, so it's interesting to see this is the route they've chosen, and they could put them back in the same position that they were in last year, not getting to the ultimate goal because they decided to tie their wagon or hitch their wagon to a guy in Blake Bortles. Now, Emory, now, this is this guy has been lighting up the fan, the, all these fancy points, all these touchdowns, my man Pat Mahomes, with that nice southern draw he has that he has for his teammates there, man, 13 touchdowns. and But we've seen some injury before, Emory, with the Eagles and the Chiefs. They start off hot, but then the Chiefs kind of level off once the league kind of sees what they got going on. Or do you think Patrick Mahomes takes him above that with his dynamic ability, kind of that gunslinger, like Brett Favre-like mentality, that he'll get them over the hump, and they won't have that usually that usually every year chief lull of two or three game loss in a row, and they go on a kind of a win one, lose one streak here. Can Mahomes overcome Andy Reid's clock management and coaching style and cover up a lot of the warts that the Chiefs may have defensively as well? I think so because when you look at their offense and how it's constructed, he's perfectly – uh, fit for this offense because of how he can attack the ball or attack deep downfield with his arm. And, and that right there, when you look at that element combined with Sammy Watkins, Tyreek Hill, uh, Travis Kelsey, guys that are vertical threats, legit deep threats, it's going to be tough to play defense because if you try to back up and play safe defense, now they're going to be able to run the football with 
another star in the in Kareem Hunt. So their offense can be their best defense. We've seen this before with the Los Angeles Rams, sorry, the St. Louis Rams at the time, with the greater show on turf. Their offense was number one in all categories, but their defense was only 16th. So you don't have to have the best defense if your offense is great enough, and they have an offense that's definitely great enough. Now, do you believe they'll win the AFC West now uh, after what you've seen out of three weeks, or do you think the Los Angeles Chargers and Denver has something to say about that? Well, I think this is a big game coming up against the Broncos. This is a, a game that, you know, could could tell a lot because I do believe the Broncos, if any team, has a defense to slow them down. They have great pass rush. Their linebackers are fast and active. They can get after the quarterback um, offensively. They got a ton of weapons. They got good weapons themselves. So, And we know the Chiefs' defense isn't where it wants to be. So they definitely can have uh, cause some problems for a, a team, definitely. So, this is going to be a great matchup, probably the best matchup they've seen so far this year, and I can't wait to see it play out. Now, speaking of that division, one, one more team, the Raiders, the mess that John Green has made, trading Khalil Mack for those picks. I think that that trade kind of broke them. It fractured their team in the locker room and in the front office. There are guys who are reading reports where Gruden's guys are going at it with the old McKenzie guys. They don't see how to have personnel. So do you feel like the Raiders just kind of playing out the strings so they get to Vegas, hoping to be good in Vegas? Or this is just year one of a, of, a tragi- of a tragic run for them leaving Oakland and going to Vegas for a long time to come with Gruden and decision-making? Because I feel like Gruden's a good coach. He's not a good GM. Yeah, you kind of hope it's just a one-year thing where, you know, they're having these little issues. But, uh, you know, it's tough because you have a situation where the team was going in the right direction um, until Carr got hurt last year, and then we saw it all fall apart. So it's just weird to see them go from 2016 to where they are now. And you hope Gruden, like you said, he's a great coach, just hope that at some point they can weather this storm and get it back on the right track, but they are right now devoid of talent, uh, you know, on offense, um, defense, they don't have pass rush. All of those things is leading to where they are right now. And I think, you know, even though they got the first round picks for Khalil Mack, who's to say they're going to sign those first round picks when they turn, if they turn into guys like Khalil Mack, we just saw them trade away their best player because they didn't want to pay him. In, in exchange for first-round picks. So what if your first-round picks, what if you hit on both of them and you don't really want to pay them and now you're sitting there back in the same situation? Got there right. I just, you just never know. That draft picks to me are just uh, potential. They're, they're not nothing tangible we can look at. And if you hit, great. If you don't hit, you don't hit. But you trade away a great player that's making a difference in, in Chicago. You see the difference making on the field for those guys. And you lost. You know, he, he talks about we need to pay for us to pass for better. Hmm, you had an all-world pass rusher on your roster. You still want to pay the guy. <laughs> yeah, it's just tough, man. Again, it's, it's it's one of those things where you don't want to cut off your nose spite your face. So I just think that they have to figure out a, a solution to get this thing squared away. Otherwise, they're in danger of just losing a lot of games. You got that right. And now this is a team who I've seen lose before, Emory. The Dolphins, starting 3-0, do you believe in the Dolphins, or is it, once again, a Dolphins optical illusion? I think both situations or both thoughts can be true. Um, I've seen the Dolphins live. I saw them against the, the New York Jets up here, and it was interesting because the Jets had a chance to win that game. They were able to turn the ball over. 
and then they subsequently turned the ball over themselves. Uh, that throw in the end zone, that was a huge play in the game because they just got the turnover from Ryan Tannehill. So I still don't know which Dolphins team I'm seeing, but in the process, they're still winning. They're undefeated, and they have their biggest test of yet this upcoming Sunday against the New England Patriots. Yeah, if they beat the Patriots, hey, it's September. The Patriots struggle in September. That's their extended preseason for, for the Patriots. So if you get them now, you're good. But if you come October, November, December, <laughs> good luck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got to get your wins while you can because, again, wins, they, they add up. So if they can if they can just stockpile wins, it's going to be hard to keep them out of the playoffs. And last one up from the AFC side of things, we go to the NFC next Saban here. Baker Mayfield. Uh, I love Tyrell Taylor. Once again, he got sniped by a rookie quarterback or a potential rookie quarterback. And last week watching that game, Tyrell looked to me like he was scared from the pocket. He wasn't looking down the field. He was ready to plot and run. But when Baker came in the game, the ball came out quick. He's hitting the throws. He's hitting all his reads. He's making check the line scrimmage. So basically won the Emory. Did Hugh Jackson error not starting Baker Mayfield for day one? Because it seemed like to me that guy had, had those guys energized, running that offense. Or was it a, a thing of the Jets weren't prepared to see Baker, Baker Mayfield and just kind of maybe was playing vanilla defenses that they wouldn't play against Tyrod Taylor? Maybe it's more one blitz a little bit more. Maybe it's more fire zones. Maybe it's more cover two bands. Things like that. I feel like that they really didn't prepare for Baker Mayfield. So it got of shocked their system and the Jets got off kilter there last weekend against Cleveland. But do you believe Cleveland win maybe five games now with Baker out there, or they'll probably still be 3-13, 4-12-ish? Well, I thought they were going to win six or seven games with Tyrod Taylor, and if they had a kicker, they'd be 3-0 and as opposed True. to 1-1-1. and So I, I don't think Tyrod Taylor played terrible. Uh, and I just think that when you look – I honestly think, you know, maybe this is a conspiracy theorist in me, but – the play calling was definitely different uh, when Baker Mayfield got in the ball game. I felt as though Todd Haley maybe was sandbagging a little bit as far as allowing certain plays to be called. It seemed like the entire playbook then was open for Baker Mayfield to get him in the group. And when Tyrod Taylor was in there, it seemed like they kept calling quarterback draws and almost trying to get him hurt um, or trying to get him banged up, which they succeeded. And they ended up now putting Baker Mayfield in the game and allowing him to play. We know Tyrod Taylor played well where they were supposed to win those three games, but they didn't have a kicker. But now with Baker Mayfield in the fold, uh, we'll see how much of what he did in college they incorporate. And I was there during training camp for two days, and he can't throw the football over the middle of the field. He can't throw the football on the outside the numbers. Um, he had really good rapport with Rashad Higgins. So I, I still feel the same way about the Browns with Baker Mayfield as I felt about the Browns with Tyrod Taylor. This is still a very talented football team. They have a, a decent running game. The offensive line is still a work in progress, but they have good pieces there. Uh, the receiving core, I think, is excellent. And defensively, they are a top-five defense. So they still have the seeds of success to be uh, way better than they were last year. They already are in three games by the way they played those games. And I think that's just going to continue to move forward, even with the rookie quarterback. Folks, that's the AFC with Emory Hunt. Come on, after our next break, we'll talk about the NFC with Emory Dallas Cowboys, the 49er Jimmy G. All up next on, after the break on the Boss Man Show. Boston Radio Network, BossmanRadioShow.com. We back at you. Stick with us.
folks back in the boss man show with Emory Hunt football game plan. Uh, he worked on the AFC with us last segment, and we're going to hit the NFC. And uh, Emory, I want to start with the Dallas Cowboys offense. I mean, they got rid of Dez Bryant. Uh, they got rid of Bryce Butler temporarily, and then they brought him back, surprisingly. I didn't see that coming. He's back on the, on the roster. Elliott's back. Offensive line took, 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 took some hits, I think, but nobody going down the field for the Dallas Cowboys. Witten retired. And Scott Linehan is unimaginative still, just running basic offense, same little routes. Certain guys are Beasley in the slot, running option routes. It's just not nothing to match with the Cowboy offense. So I wanted to ask you about their offense, your thoughts on the offense. And they got Dak Prescott coming for a contract here real soon. If you see somebody you're going to invest $25, $30 million in with the offense he's putting up right now, where he, he's playing in his office with Linda Hand, the way he's putting up number-wise right now? I think so. I think people are short-sighted uh, when they look at Dak. And it's unfortunate because certain quarterbacks get uh, scrutinized differently. Um, you talk about a guy that was rookie of the year in 2016 and was in the conversation for NFL MVP as a rookie along with his cohort in uh, Ezekiel Elliott. So this is not a bad football player. You know, we've seen this before, and it's a shame because Dak has talent, proven it on the field, and for a fourth-round pick, he completely outplayed his his contract. Now, when you look at that juxtaposed what's going on the season, yes, he has to play better. Even last year when he talked about, oh, he, he had a regression, they still went 9-7. and seven. Dak didn't play bad last year. This year, he's trying to make work with things that, you know, he doesn't have to with somebody else. They say, oh, he needs help and weapons. But since it's Dak, they're going to say, oh, it's all because of Dak. So I just have a real problem with the coverage of, of Dak Prescott and what he's doing with the Dallas Cowboys. He can play. Now, as far as their offense, yes, he still has to play better. Um, he still has to make work with what he has. And those guys have to do a great job of finding opportunities for him to have those big plays. You have to look at your personnel. You can't expect – your, your receivers to be Dez Bryant. You have to work within their skill set. You can't expect your tight ends to be Jason Witten. And you have to get back to what you were doing really well two years ago, which is running the football. Now that you have Zeke back there healthy and also not suspended, take advantage early on in the season, run to get to lead, run to get a lead, pass it to, to extend that lead and run to close off the game. I think it's not that hard uh, for them to have success. They have a good defense. They have pieces on offense to be successful. They just have to put the right pieces in place to be successful. I'm with you on that. I feel like, hey, you got to work with what you got. But I feel like it's the, a lot of it's coaching, too, because I see it with Sargeesian here in Atlanta, how his play calls sometimes just baffle me. <laughs> like, what are you doing, sir? <laughs> you know, like, so you got to have good coaching as well. And then, uh, see, you know, we can have that same game, Emory. Seahawks. Should they go in and cut Bay Trader or Thomas and rather keep this charade going on? I feel like he's going to fight straight out of locker room eventually. He doesn't want to be there. He doesn't want to get hurt. He doesn't want to practice and then put his body on, on the line for this team who won't pay him. So should they maybe call a safety-hungry team like Atlanta, uh, Carolina even, even somebody in New Orleans who may, who may need a safety and gets, gets cut bait now rather than keeping him on the roster, keeping him unhappy? That bad force around these these young guys is Pete Carroll and, and John Schneider wants to start a new culture there without all those old – they losing the boom guys – get the last one out of there and just start it now rather than keep him there knowing he doesn't want to be there anymore. Play for these guys and put his body on the line for his team any, any longer. For me, I'm, I'm of the mindset either you're going to pay some pay your best players 
or you're going to get rid of disgruntled players. That was that's the I'm on both ends of the spectrum. So if you want to be here, great. We have to pay you. If you don't, let's find a spot for you. Uh, this playing this game of, of you know playing him if he doesn't want to be there and that's just a bad recipe for uh, disaster. And I, I would if a player doesn't want to be this is my own personal philosophy. If a guy doesn't want to be there, let him go. Trade him. Do what you got to do. If he wants to be here, and he's a key player. We have to work out a contract. We have to get a deal done to keep him happy and to keep him involved uh, in in building the culture of the team. So I just I can see it from both sides. Either get rid of him or sign him, but you can't play both sides of the fence. I'm with you. Now, we'll say that same division, Emory, with the 49ers. Jimmy G got hurt scrambling. He could have went out of bounds, maybe say his ACL, maybe. Uh, then, then he also cut back in and he, he, he tried to blow his shoulder as well. Now, but do you think he he will learn from this and not do this again, just take what they give you? Because I feel like defenses, if you show you're going out of bounds, they ain't going to come up and hit you. If you show, I'm giving up, I'm going out of bounds. But if you try to make a move and make a cut, now he's hurt out for the year. Thank God he signed that big contract when he did. Then play, play the franchise tag game. It's Mike Florio for football talk. See, he should have did. If he did that, he'd really be up right out of paddle if he did that. So looking at that, should the 49ers lob a call to Cleveland about Tyrod Taylor now because hey CJ Belfer doesn't get the job done and whoever they sign not gonna get the job done. They wanna say save their year, maybe compete. Do they go after Tyrod Taylor or they say, Hey, we got Jimmy G on the contract, we'll take the bullet this year, we'll just be bad, get a high draft pick, smile on defense, maybe get a weapon or something. So yeah, for San Francisco Emory, what's your outlook for them and Jimmy G as well going forward? Well they they, they have a, a, a you know a lot of options available. I would even look for a guy like RG3 who has had experience with Kyle Shanahan. So I think that's a good fit if they want to make a trade. Or maybe they just want to trust their guy that they have on the roster that played last year, played four five games for them, that understands that system and, and is ready to hit the ground running that also played in the preseason in C.J. Beckham. Now, he is definitely not uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, but at least he understands the system. He can get you in and out of bad plays. Uh, you know, get you out of bad place in a good one. He, he understands the checks that needs to happen at the line of scrimmage by being in that system. And he played a lot last year and played the preseason. So that may be an option. I, I don't think Ty Rartel would be a good fit. I mean, it would be a good fit to go out and grab uh, a former 49 that, you know, that knows that area. And Colin Kaepernick, he's sitting there free um, for you. You don't have to give up any assets. So as far as Jimmy G is concerned, I think for him, it's, it's mostly about just getting healthy because quietly, he has been banged up anytime he has played an extended period of time. Even in New England, he got injured. Just last year, he had a, he had an issue. Now this year, he has uh, the knee. So there's always something with him when he gets extended playing. So it, it, feel, it feels like the 49ers jumped the, the gun a bit in paying him this extensive money. It's funny how he hasn't proven anything for Dak Prescott, who has and played a full season and hasn't missed a game. Now they're questioning whether or not he should be the starter. So this is the issue I have with the NFL and San Francisco because they took a gamble on a guy that didn't put it out there on film for a full season. This is the result. This is what happens when you jump the gun and doesn't and, and don't pay, uh, wait for things to play out as opposed to paying someone too early. Got there right now. Let's go to the NFC North. Uh, do you believe in the Bears with Trubisky playing the role of Trent Dilfer slash Brad Johnson with the defense they have out there with Khalil Mack and those guys out there and Roquan Smith and those guys rushing the passer and causing havoc on defense? 
on paper it looks great, uh, but in, in practice he is really struggling. And this is a guy that probably shouldn't have went second overall. When you draft someone second overall, you're expecting them to hit the ground running, especially in a draft where you had Pat Mahomes, Deshaun Watson, Deshaun Kaiser, and a host of other guys that played a lot of games in college that played them well. Uh, Trubisky wasn't better than the guy that he, he took over for and Marquise Williams, or he wasn't better, and he wasn't better than the guy that he competed against in the same conference in Gerard Evans. So those two guys are out the league, didn't get a sniff in the NFL, and here's Trubisky, the second overall pick, is playing like a guy that was picked up in the seventh round. So they have to get him to play significantly better because you look at that offense, they have good receivers, two good tailbacks. That offense line is phenomenal. And defensively, they're a top-five defense, just like the Cleveland Browns, and they have a special player in Khalil Mack. Their linebacking forward looks active, aggressive, and it works well in conjunction with their secondary, who does a great job in press and also taking the ball away. So this team is ready to make a run in the playoffs, but they got to get just average play from Mitch Trubisky. If they can do that, they can make some noise. I hear that, Emory. I'm with you on there. They can do just show a pulse on offense. They can get, they can do something, get them something done. Now, last one I got for you is this: uh, Tampa Bay has been the talk of the league with Fitz Magic. He he, he kind of showed who he was at Monday Night Football against, against Pittsburgh a little bit. They probably gonna go with, with Fitz Fitz again against the Bears with Jameis come, coming back off suspension. So my question to you is this: After this week at Chicago. When does Damon's watch start? When does he see that field, or, or if any at all? If I'm Dirk Cutter, do you go with the potential of Winston or the veteran of Fitzpatrick because he needs to save his job in Tampa? Who, who would you go with if you're Dirk Cutter? And when do you believe Jameis will see the field this year? It's, that's an easy decision. You go with the best player, and the best player is James Winston. And this is a guy that played well in the preseason thanks to Todd Munkin's play calling, which allowed Fitzpatrick to have some success. And he's only missed three games, and he's I'm pretty sure he's been working out. He's played with this team before. He's a veteran. He knows the checks and all those things that I just mentioned about uh, the other quarterback, C.J. Beathard. This is your starter. This is your franchise quarterback. This is the number one overall pick. And people need to stop playing themselves and thinking Fitzpatrick is anything more than what he is. He actually did his job great this time. Before the season, people thought this was easy 0-3 for the Bucks. They come out this stretch 2-1. Backup quarterback did his job, kept kept the ship steady, kept it afloat, actually. And now you can go back to your starter and pick up right where, where the backup left off. This is exactly what you would want if you're a head coach. So I think it's ideal for him to just throw Jameis Winston back in there um, right away because we saw in the preseason the difference from their cutter and top Munkin play calling is that Munkin is going to get everybody involved. And we saw Jameis have success with the backups while Fitzpatrick was having success with the starters. So that shows you that, okay, Jameis played well in the preseason, He's ready to go. There's no need to push this envelope for Fitzpatrick any more than what we had to. We were only forced to play him three games. We did that. He did a great job. If we need him to come in uh, in in case of an emergency or something like that, we know we can trust him for at least three games. Anything after that is pushing, and I think that's where teams get in trouble with Fitzpatrick, and I think the Bucks have to do the right thing by their football team and put James Winston back in the lineup. I'm with you, Emory. Jameis should be back in that lineup, brother. Before you go, man, tell the people about what's going. What you got going at football game plan. What what you and the crew over there got going on, man? Well, we have a lot going on. We're doing our NFL team previews for this week. We have our college football previews up and ready to go on our YouTube channel at YouTube.com/slash/football-game-plan. So you can check that out there. Follow me on Twitter at FballGamePlan. If you're a college football fan and 
you want to check me out on on some of these broadcasts tomorrow which is thursday i have a broadcast on espn3 i'll be the color analyst for the east stroudsburg millersville millersville game at 7 p.m uh, eastern time and saturday i'll be the color analyst for shippensburg and westchester espn3 seven uh that noon eastern time i'm sorry so those are two games i'll be on broadcast for this weekend my man, the color, I didn't know he was a color commentator now, my, my man. Hey, congrats on that. My man is doing big things. ESPN threw it down for you people. Check out my man, Emery Hunt. Emery, so thanks a lot. We got to do this again real soon. I'm sorry I haven't been this long, but we're going to make this more frequent for sure, my brother. Definitely appreciate it, man. Anytime, just let me know. All right, folks. Emery Hunt, football game plan on the Boss Man Show. Back in the Jar the Boss Man show, but he's joined by a great guy. I got to meet him this summer at Titans Training Camp. They're Cole Ellis one for the zone with Mike Keith on Titans Radio. He broadcast the marathon game against the Miami Dolphins on the high coach Mac Diddy, but he did it. But it's my man, Coach Dave McGinnis on the Boss Man show. Coach Mac, how are things have been in good old Nashville, man? Hey, JR, everything is good here in Nash Vegas. We're doing good, man. Just uh, one, two big division games back-to-back, uh, you know, with a little bit of a depleted roster. The coaching staff and the players did a tremendous job of pulling it together. Of course, you know, coaching all the years that I did, over 30 years in this league, there's times where you just have to put together a game plan and make it work. And uh, the players and the coaches did a great job. And so we've got a big game here this weekend against the world champion Philadelphia Eagles. And so Things are rolling pretty good, brother. I hear that, Coach. And that Coach, I must ask you, man, like, what does speak for Coach Vrabel's culture that his guys stuck, stuck together with all the injuries they had all uh, for preseason long, scratchy started, only four in preseason, didn't do it well against in preseason with Luke Falk and those guys. A lot of guys on the roster not there anymore. Started off a little scratchy, but now 2-1. and one, Marcus came in off the bench replacing Blaine Gabbert. The team put Jacksonville, who's everybody thinks a world beater with their defense coach, but the Titans held them to six points. And then Jacksonville, always tough for, for the Titans, but they always seem to beat them, coach. So how, how happy is Coach Rabel and the guys and you and Mike Keith and all the people around the Titans about how the team is played out the preseason? People was like, oh, they're 0 4. What's wrong with Coach Rabel? But now they're playing well now, coach. Yeah, well, Mike Vrabel, I mean, I'm all on board with him. As I said, I've coached in this league for, you know, 31 years. I know good from bad, and he is a really good football coach. He and John Robinson are a great team together, you know, and, uh, you know, John Robinson on the personnel side and Mike Vrabel coaching this football team. He's got a really good staff. Uh, you know, he's got a good blend of young and, and coaches and experienced coaches. And what, what he, what Vrabel did and what he did as a player, and he's doing the same thing now in his coaching career is he's a, he's a, you know, full speed ahead guy and he, he makes no excuses. And, uh, the thing I love about him is, is that, you know, after that first ball game, and you mentioned it in Miami when we had two rain delays. And so it turned into a seven and a half, eight hour football game that day and you know we were broadcasting the whole time and he was having to keep that team together and plus then losing the players that he did i mean 
you know, he lost, you know, he lost three Pro Bowl players in that ball game, but he never made one excuse and he came back and, and with the players that he had and with, and with his coaches, they put together a game plan, you know, to, to be able to beat the Houston Texans here and then go down to Jacksonville who won this division last year. And, uh, you know, who was within one game of going to the Super Bowl and who had just previously the week before destroyed new England and put together a brilliant game plan and then loses his quarterback in that game. And Marcus Mariota has to come into the ball game and then Matt LaFleur did a wonderful job of adjusting his offensive game plan on the run. And then he caused Todd Wash, the Jacksonville defensive coordinator, to start chasing his calls. And what I mean by that is, is when you get another signal caller on the other side of the of the field chasing your calls, trying to defend the last play that you ran instead of moving forward to the next play, then you've got a chance. And it was a, it was really a good – it was a great team win, but it was also a really physical, gutty win, you know, for that coaching staff and for that locker room and, and just really uplifting for the whole organization and really for the whole city. So the, the city is, is, all, is really fired up now about the Titans because they know that these players believe in this coaching staff this coaching staff has shown how resilient and resourceful they are. So this is a big challenge this week against the reigning world champions. And the key is also, coaches, there there was two division wins. Very key when it comes to tiebreakers down the road. Those division wins always going to push you over the edge there. Yeah, yeah, and that's always huge because the way you get to the playoffs, the way you get to the tournament in the National Football League in 16 weeks, you got to win your division. And, and, and especially when you win a division game at home, you have to do that. But when you win a division game on the road, that's like, that's like putting two in the bucket for you. And so that just, that means everything. And, uh, you know, the, we're very disappointed with the loss to Miami because that is an AFC game and that will clearly count in the standings as we go forward trying to move, you know, through this season because you only get 16 shots at it. But the, the resiliency of this football staff and this football team, and the position they've put themselves in now, again, the challenges don't get any easier because, as I said, I've coached in over 650 NFL games in my career, and the next easy NFL game I coach in will be the first because there's none of them easy in this league. And so you've got to you've got to get prepared. And whether you've been successful the week before or you've not been successful, you've got to push that behind you. Learn from the lessons. Go through the postmortem. Learn from the mistakes. Uh, uh, and then move on to the next week because this train that is the National Football League, it doesn't stop for anybody. You got that right, Coach. And speaking of the injury of Marcus, Coach, what exactly is his injury? Because I, I think it's like an elbow and a hand. His hand's kind of numb. So from what they you are, know, Coach, what is yeah, it? Yeah, let me tell you something, brother. I dropped out of medical school after the first <laughs> semester because it was too easy. You know, I wanted, I wanted, I wanted something really hard while I was playing football. So I want, hey, I got, I, I don't know, man. I'm just telling you. I just know he couldn't grip the ball and he couldn't, and he yeah, couldn't spin it right. And so, if you're a pitcher or a, uh, a professional pitcher or a professional quarterback, you kind of need to be able to grip the ball. You got you there, right, coach? That, <laughs> that was his issue. Now, what it was medically, I'll have to go back and check my medical records. I, mean, I don't know, man. I don't know. I got you, Coach. Now, Coach, what I've noticed about the offense is that they got Henry and Lewis splitting the carries. And, man, Coach, you tell me if I'm wrong or not, but it seems like to be there running the outside zone with Lewis, a little bit inside zone with Lewis as well, but mostly Derrick Henry's running the inside zone. Is that how I'm seeing it correctly when I'm watching on the film, or is I'm, oh, I'm missing a little bit here, Coach, about that? 
JR, here, here's what the deal is. This, this whole this whole offense is predicated off of the outside zone, so they're both going to run that. And then, of course, you know, the last two weeks, you know, and again, showing the versatility and the creativity of these offensive coaches and Matt LaFleur and his staff, they've incorporated a little of a wildcat in there with Henry. You know, and so you've got two backs that are very, very complementary to one another. And don't mistake Lewis for just a guy that can get the edges. This, this guy's tough. He can run inside too, and, and he has. And, and you know, they're both they they're both really good backs. And and the the key is is this is such a game specific game plan type of an offense that each one of these guys is going to have a specific role week to week, but both of them are are incorporated into the entire offense. And once this entire, I mean, you haven't seen this entire offense yet because you haven't had all the pieces healthy enough to run it yet, but once it gets to Jen, and you will see both of them doing everything that's required in this offense, Jr. And coach, what about Rashard Matthews? I know that you know he came off PUP there, and he I know he kind of made some comments about he wanted to get involved a little bit more, but he's on way his turn. So when you see Rashard Matthews getting into that, getting the good football shape, and getting more incorporated in the offense with Corey Davis and those guys, kind of get that kind of that possession receiver down the field, kind of hit the middle a little bit there, do some more Delaney, what Delaney was doing as well from the small one out there in the slot, maybe. Yeah, well, again, you know, all of those receivers, you know, are going to have to take up the slack from Delaney Walker because, you know, you know, and, you know, John o. Smith doesn't need to be the next Delaney Walker. He needs to be the best John o. Smith. Amen. And, and, but, but, but everybody else has got to take up the slack because Delaney Walker was a huge part of this offense and Richard along with the rest of them. Now, Richard, you know, of course, missed a whole lot of time. And again, I mean, it's, if this league, this league moves so fast, you know that that you've got to get you've got to get your feet and your legs back under you and your timing under you. So even if you're a vet and you miss time, it takes you time to kind of get back in the flow, and that's where he's getting now. And coach, let's talk about the Titan defense. I know they lost uh, a big piece there in preseason there, but hey, you got some tough football players on that defense with, with Kevin Byard, Wilson Woodyard, and Jarrell Casey. The defense played good last year, but these guys are playing even better this year, if you ask me, Coach. And even against Miami, it was a kick return to kind of blew that game open, but they still played tough defense that game as well, Coach. And, of course, last week, six points to Jacksonville. So, talk about the Titan defense, Coach, how good those guys are playing, how Vrabel has those guys jumping together, they're flying to the ball and attacking them with DMPs, what they got going on, man. I love what they're doing, Coach. I love it. Yeah, it's a very aggressive defense. And of course, Dean Pease, I mean, I've always been a big fan. You know, I've coached against uh, Dean's teams, and he, they're very well prepared. He's, I mean, he's a very good uh, defensive play caller uh, on game days. I mean, he can, he can adjust and figure out things pretty quick during the game. And he puts his players in the position to make plays. And, and really, seriously, I mean, these, these, these guys on defense now, this, this is a nasty group. And I mean, they, they go at it. And, and I love watching them play. Of course, you know, I grew up in this league, you know, as a, as a, as a defensive coach and a linebacker coach, you know, before I, you know, was a head coach and all of that coordinator and all that other stuff. I, I love a good defensive team. This team, this defensive team has got a really tough mindset. And the thing about it is, is they, they really don't care who gets the credit. I mean, they played great team defense. And Wesley Woodyard, I mean, I'm a huge fan. He's having a great year, a great year. I mean, this guy's, you know, his 11th year, he's even getting better. And, and, and Jarrell Casey, I mean, I was here, you know, working for the Titans as a coach, you know, as an assistant head coach when we drafted Jarrell. And, and you knew he was a special player coming out. And he's done nothing but get better and better his entire career. So, I, I mean, I, I love watching this defense play. And, again, as I said, that game last week, I was smiling so big up there in the press box, 9-6. That reminds me of the 
days back in the old black and blue NFC North division when I was coaching with the Bears where, you know what, you just stood in the middle of the ring and punched each other until somebody fell down, and the Titans were still standing at the end of that one. You got there, right, Coach? Because I want to ask you about the NFL's new rule by Rough and the Passer. And I, I, heard, I heard from William Hayes, uh, he hurt his knee trying to not follow Derek Carr. What's your thoughts on that, on this rule, and how this all these penalties have been called rough in the past? You know, I don't even want to protect the quarterbacks. I get it. They are, they are the money. They are the, they are the show. But it, it, it had to come on. Football is football, coach. It's taking away the game that me and you both love and watch for so many years. It's like it's not – I was getting off with that coach, two-hand touch almost, to a degree. Well, you can't touch them. It's a penalty. Well, I mean, it just, I mean, the, the rule itself is hard to, it's hard to officiate. It's nearly impossible for a defensive player to do. I mean, I don't know how you sack somebody without falling on them. I mean, the things that Clay Matthews has done, you know, three weeks in a row that he's been fined for and flagged for, I mean, I, I don't know what else you do. I mean, that, to me, again, I mean, once they put the rule in, and now, I mean, I, I understand, I get it, you know, if you're trying to pin the quarterback's arms to his side and then body slam him on the ground or tip him up and try to hit him on his shoulder to do, but that's not what these guys are doing. And I, it's nearly impossible when you're going as full speed as you are, and, I mean, you've got to get to the quarterback because the way the rules are anyway, I mean, the whole field's wide open because, the, you know, you can't touch him at that second and third level, the receivers, and so if you can't, you know, if you can't, sack the quarterback i mean it's it, it's problems i don't know how you sack somebody and not fall on top of them i understand not pile driving them but sacking them and falling on top of them these flags they've been throwing i mean to me it's it, it's hard to coach it's even harder to do full speed for the players and clearly it's hard to officiate you got there right coach that coach i saw i want to share with you coach because I, I coach this, this buzz me coach how offensive players coach get too cute on short, yard, on short yards plays. I mean, like, we go on five wide receiver shotgun on third and one. We are going to go run power, maybe, or even the inside zone. I've seen toss cracks or fake pitches, and we losing yards. So, as a defensive coach, do you, like, smile when you see an OC get too cute on short yards play and I just run the power right at you or sneak to get the first down, keep the chains moving? Well, I mean, you know, really seriously, though, JR, I mean, it's really easier to, it's really easier to defend somebody lining up in there because at least you can gap up pull everybody up because now look in the old days when you could when you could hit receivers and you could jam them up and and hold them up and those types of things you know and hit the quarterback well then you know yeah i want them to start trying to get to the edge and you're jamming the receivers up but now you can't touch anybody you know what i'm saying so they're just taking advantage i mean this game has expanded horizontally so much because the way the rules are now i mean it's tough out there in space i mean it really is out there, right, Coach? Last one I got for you, Coach. My next guest is, is Michael DeBerna Turner, right after you, Coach. So, Coach, when you had to play this guy, how did you defend my man, Michael DeBerna De Bern, De Bern, De Bern, Turner, our Falcon legend here? How did you deal with that, with that guy? He's a beast. <laughs> you know what? He's a beast now, and he just knew that you better be gapped up, you better be gap sound. I mean, you better be, you know, you better be on it because, look, I mean, a great player, no matter when he plays, is a great player. And believe me, he was a great player. Yes, indeed. He's a great, he's a great person, too, Coach. He, he's a great guy. You would not know how great of a guy this dude is. Real, real laid-back dude. Great personality. Sense of humor is off the chain, Coach. I love that dude. He's a great man, Coach. Well, you, like tell, you, 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 tell, you tell him Coach Max says hello, and Coach Max glad he doesn't have to try to get somebody to tackle him anymore. <laughs> Sure will, Coach. Hey, Coach, I'll tell you what. I look forward to seeing you against New England. I'll be up there November for New England, the Patriots game, Coach. I know the Falcons are off that week on the road. So I'll come up there and see you guys. So I would 
win for you guys this Eagles week. Uh, we needed you, we need y'all to beat them for us because they hey, beat us down here. We need y'all to get that win for us. Help us, Tim as coach. We definitely be cheering for the Titans down here in the ATL. Because I tell you what, coach, a lot of Titans fans down here more than you think, coach. A lot of them are down here. Listen, listen to you as well. Uh, and tell me about it, Jr. I, I love being with you at training camp up here this year. That was so much fun. So look forward to you being up here in Nash Vegas, and in the meantime, you uh, you hold it down there in the ATL. <laughs> yes, sir, Coach. Talk to you real soon, Coach. Have a great one, Coach. Talk to you real soon, man. See you, brother. All right, Coach Mack on the Boss Man Show, people. Man, show we got a special guest for you as promised, drawn by a Falcons legend, number 33 in your hearts. And running back, extraordinary Michael Turner. What's good, Bernard? How you doing, my good brother? Yeah, what's good, man? How you been? Man, I've been great, man. We've been buffed the Falcons for that game out on Sunday, but <laughs> yeah. we got we got another week coming to the Bengals, so it's all good, brother. Yeah, it was a little heartbreaking. You know, you never want to lose to the Saints, but, you know, it's the NFL, man. You got to put that week behind you and move on to the next. Now, Mike, I just had on Dave McGinnis, Mike. He he wanted me to tell you he's glad he don't have to stop you anymore. You guys give him headaches, man. So tell me, how was it going against <laughs> Coach McGinnis, man? What was the defense like to go against that guy defense when he played with the Rams, the Rams, and the Cardinals? How was it, man? I mean, you know, you know, with me, it was it was like one guy that I wanted to pick out, but I know, but he he's been on some good teams, from, uh, played on some good defenses. So it wasn't just him. It was uh, when I played against those teams, I always had to get get ready against a gang of guys. So it was like, <laughs> so uh, you know, they, they I'm pretty sure their plan was to try to gang tackle me and stuff like that. But you know, he was a good football player and uh, had a, had a good career. And uh, much respect, another another brother of the, of the shield, man. No doubt, well, bro. You know the brotherhood, man. With so many guys going down, Mike, how does the Falcons keep their brotherhood together? Keep the same mentality with, with this man up because you, you know you're losing Kiki Neal, you're losing Rico Allen, Deion Jones. You know, Tack was out. You know, a lot of guys in defense are going down. So how does the brotherhood stay together when? Their main men aren't out there with them in that battle out there each Sunday. You know what? It's National Football League. You expect injuries to happen, you know. But you like, but our situation is a little unique because you don't expect like the three defensive leaders to go out. But you know, guys just got to pick it up. Guys got to step up and uh, show why they show the reason why they on this football team. You know, Dan Quinn has a lot of confidence in those guys. That that's been the backups, and now that's going to be into the starter roles. So we're going to see what they got, see what they made up. Is you know either either put up or shut up now. Now, Mike, do you foresee we see more Bleedy Ray Wilson maybe with now Rico Allen out because maybe he can play some safety a little bit, being in, in the nickel and dime packages. I feel like he could play some safety if you need him to with Casey back there. 
you know, he knows defense, and you want to play fast, quicker than we talk about playing fast, playing the ball, attacking the ball, and you don't want guys out there thinking too much. And Bleedy can actually, you know, know the system. He won't be thinking as much as a guy off the street, maybe. So, how you feel about replacing Neil and Allen with maybe Bleedy Ray Wilson a little bit more, using more pool, maybe playing put put pool in the, back there in the, in the backs end with the safeties, maybe put Bleedy down the slot. So, how you feel about that? So that's all, that's all up to the coach, you know. I just know Casey going to be at the free safety, and then uh, the Nick on the strong safety situation, they they're going they're going to figure out uh, what they're going to do there. Um, but uh, it seems like Dan Quinn already already has a plan. Just gonna, the team got to trust his plan, just like uh, uh, our, our, the fans got to trust him too. So uh, so we'll we'll see on Sunday what everybody got. What's the what's the plan? What's the game plan going to be moving forward? Um, you know, guys got the opportunity to shine, and uh, I know some of those guys that's been uh, that hasn't been starters are looking forward to this opportunity to go out, go out there and play some football. I hear that, man. I feel like you know uh, it's going to show up while a lot of guys are made up. And a lot of guys, like you said, want an opportunity to play, and they, they they can see what they can do in this league because you know mm-hmm. somebody like all guys are like, man, if I get some more playing time, look, I can show what I can do. Now it's on you now. Let's see what you got. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Let's see. Yeah, right. Yeah, you know how it is. You know, ever, ever since uh, high school, or something. You know, it's always those guys in the locker room saying, "Man, I wish I'd out there. I'll do this and I'll do that." And then, uh, you know, when it's time to shine, they don't show up. So, uh, but now, hopefully, uh, that doesn't happen with this Falcon situation. I know those guys are going to be uh, feeding off each other, you know, pumping each other up, going out there and making some plays. And, uh, and I hope uh, if, if things could be a little rocky in the beginning, they don't get too discouraged and just keep on trucking. And you know what I think may help the back end, Mike, is a little bit more of a pass rush. Now, do you first see maybe some more slot blitzes, maybe some double-A gap blitzes, maybe to generate some more pass rush? Because I feel like Breeze had all day to throw the ball Sunday, if you ask me. He was just picking picking his spots there. So, you know, Dalton's not as good as Drew Breeze, which is good. It helps us out. He's not as good as Breeze. So you don't want to worry about that as much. But still, there's a guy on the outside, AJ, AJ, AJ Green, that's a Beast. You don't want to give Dalton time to see find that guy either down in the middle of our defense. Uh, you know what? It's, it's no time to change the scheme. Uh, the coaches are going to stick to what they've been doing. And uh, as far as the Drew Brees thing, it's hard to get uh, get sacks on Drew Brees. Man, he gets the ball out quick, and if if not, he's a good scrambling quarterback as well. So uh, people don't really give him enough credit for that. For scrambling ability like they, as they should because he, he don't take off and run down the field. He just find another, uh, another spot in the pocket and just throw from there. And uh, he's been he's been doing that his whole career, man. I played with him in San Diego, man. He's always been that way. Uh, a little shifty guy that's hard to bring down, hard to get to. Uh, but uh, loading, loading teams up with blitzes and everything like that, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know if that's in the game plan. I don't know if, the, if Dan Quinn likes to do that. Uh, it's it's all up to the head coaches. It's his philosophy. The players gonna have to do what uh, what he envisions his, his team to be, not the, not what players he has out there and, and causing blitzes just because he feels like guys are out. You know what I think, Mike? I was on a show today. I was telling the, 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 the you know the host that hey, I think for the Falcons maybe our best defense, but maybe our offense. You know, I know it didn't work out for us on Sunday. But when you got a quarterback throwing five touchdowns, no picks, and playing a, a flawless game like that, you know, maybe like how the old coach used to be, 
you know, those teams where, hey, where Peyton Man's offense was, was, was their best defense, maybe. So I, do you mm-hmm. feel like that may be part of the Falcons game for them having Matt with, with Calvin really just coming out strong on Sunday, Julio getting involved, Muhammad Sanu, Hooper out there, Tim Coleman get the running game going, hey, that offense can, can control, control the clock, check, check the defense, and be our best defense with our offense on the field a lot, scoring points every time down the field. Man, you know what? You know, that might be uh... – the remedy for this, um, but in order to make that happen, man, they got to get that run game going. Uh, that's the best way to control the clock. You know, last week against the Saints, we didn't run the ball well. We put up a lot of points, but you look at the rushing yards and the rushing totals, it wasn't it wasn't that hot. So um, maybe they if they control that, get that uh, sewn up and make that a little better. You know, keeping the other team off the field will be the best defense. You you right about that. No, Mike, I want to talk about the running game with you. To me, it seemed like we had two runs uh, last week. It was either the toss crack to the short side of the field outside zone play or a shotgun inside mm-hmm. zone play. I feel like mm-hmm. it should have been a little bit more, a little bit more, you know, variety than this an inside zone shotgun draw or a toss crack to the outside. It wasn't working. You know, I just feel like we was been a hitting against against the wall. We're running two running plays, which outside zone toss crack or an inside zone draw. We got we got to do more than that, Mike. We just have to. Uh yeah. And uh, you know what? And you know, I'm not in the big room so I don't know exactly what was the game plan as far as running the football, but um but in order to play coaches to get the get the call them on run plays, they got to make what's due uh, on the run plays that's called. You know, they got to show the show the offensive coordinator that look, we getting these, we pushing these guys off the football. Um, you got some lanes out here, just just let us eat a little bit. You know, I guess he they wasn't showing that enough, and and we wasn't making a big, uh, wasn't able to get to the all to the all the run packages that we wanted to. But but. Man, but it's hard when you're throwing the ball 50 yards down here to Ridley. Ridley got, you know, some big plays going. You got another 50-yard bomb to Julio. You know, you know, other stuff in the game dictates what happens on offense. Exactly. Now, Mike, maybe I'm over over analyzing this, but it seems to me that Matt is scrambling more this year. Is that the offensive line issues? Maybe they're not protecting and protecting that as they should. You know, some cause I feel like he's doing a lot of scrambling this year. He's moving more than I remember him moving in a long time. You know, so maybe I'm seeing a little bit, a little looking at it too, too too close. But how are you seeing about Matt kind of moving off the spot a little bit more than usual here? Uh, I think I think some teams are bringing a lot of pressure to him this year. He's he's been hit a lot this year. We've been playing some. Look at these first uh, first three games, man. We played some tough defensive fronts, so it's not like it's going to be the norm. You know, you got Philly; they're they're off their front seven is incredible. Carolina. Some people think Carolina's uh, down line is better than Philly, and then and then the Saints. With that's a robbery game, so you know that's going to be amped up, a little juiced up there a little bit. But they protect them. I think they protect them a little bit well last week uh, against the Saints. I gave they gave them a little bit more time last week. Um, but uh, yeah, so hopefully they protect him a little bit more this week against against Cincinnati, um, and he can just hit hit those hit those targets, man, and get that run game going. You got that right. And hey, the fans have been hitting me about the the red zone wall. Let's take a look here. The red zone wall to me has been solved the last eight times in the red zone touchdowns. So I don't right, I don't yeah. hit it, hit it, hit it, I don't hit it anymore. That's been solved. <laughs> right. You know, we could we we don't solve that issue and. 
we and we, I love how our fans, how Mike, every game we lose is Matt Ryan's fault. That wasn't his fault last week. <laughs> they ran out of gas on defense last week. They ran out, ran out of manpower last week. It wasn't uh-huh. Matt Ryan's fault. Matt, we could be three and zero if it wasn't for a few plays here or there. So I don't want to hear that this Matt Ryan's is this big old problem. Now we're going to be one and two. Heck no. But look, if we look at the big picture, a few plays here and there, we could be three and zero. Yeah, oh yeah, definitely could be. We could be three and zero. But it's National Football League, man. Anything, anything goes. And uh, it's definitely, definitely can't point the finger at Matt on on the loss last week when you got. Uh, he got the highest quarterback rating ever for a for a quarterback that that loses the game, and and plus he threw five touchdowns, so um, you can't blame him. Uh, it just, you know what? In overtime, he didn't get a chance to win it. He he didn't get a chance to pull it off. You know, uh, they had a, they had a little two minute drill there at the end of the end of the fourth quarter when I thought when I thought that was going to be the drive, but you know they you know with like a three and out or something like that. And had to had to punt the ball away, but uh, I know I know he's pissed off about the game, uh, but he, he's going to move on and and get his team ready to play this week. You got there right now, Mike. And I got to tell you, bro, I see you doing swagging. But I know you could do that swagging stuff like you could. I know you're a swagger, bro. You're a swagger. I see you, man. <laughs> <laughs> you're yeah, a weird. Man. I say, was a world star. <laughs> You know what, man? When I hear that song, man, that takes me back, man. Because that was 2008. That's when I first got here. You know, that was when I first got to Atlanta, man. That was that was my year, man. That was that was you know swag surfing, all that stuff in the club. You know, you know, it just brings me brings me back, man. That was great memories, and hopefully, uh, stadiums can uh, feel that energy. And you know, that's something we're trying to do this year. We're trying to buy some energy in the stadium, get some fans involvement in uh you know they've been doing it i've just seen them on a big screen doing it so hopefully it just keeps getting better and better each week i love it hey now i saw i saw our boy harry douglas so i'm like they got harry up here you know he he's straight eight towns you know gotta get that right, 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 like, right. Get harry, get harry up there i see harry now look now, yeah. i don't know you have control but you gotta get eric wings up there too you know e wings really gonna be with it you gotta get him oh, yeah, up there. Yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, yeah, I, I'm uh, I'm pretty sure uh, they're gonna get with that. You know, Harry, Harry, you know that's 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 him, man. He's he was the you know he's he's a crowd hyper, man. He loves to get the crowd hype. He loves to do things to you know get guys going. You know, before the games, he used to get being in a circle and do a little dance or something for the for the team. So uh, that's that's right up his alley. So uh, Eric Wings, yeah, Eric Wings was my guy too, man. When we played. Um, Hopefully we get like a little reunion, man. Two thousand eight reunion or something, where all the all the players from the, from that that Mike Smith era to come up there and do a little swag surf for everybody. You got there right, hey man. Yeah, that man. When y'all got there, man, it all changed for us, and I loved it. You know, y'all dudes had it going, oh boy. I love that story. Yeah. I had it going. Yeah, yeah. Now, Mike, let me ask you this, bro. Now, people ask me all the time, like, how are you enjoying being in the media? Now, you're on our side of the fence now, so, you know, how mm-hmm. how you like being in the media now, being around it, you know, getting to talk about the game now, kind of, it's still around a little bit, though, so how how's that been for you, you know? Uh, it's been pretty good. I still, you know, got some learning to do as far as uh, how everything works as far as, as far as media, but I see, I, you know, I just got a different outlook on things. I just want to provide my little two cents, man, where or like some of these guys haven't been in the NFL locker room, 
don't know exactly what it's like or what, how guys are feeling. I'm just trying to give give guys that little insight of look. This is exactly what it is, man. And uh, hopefully, I can just be truthful and uh, you know just tell it how it is. No, don't sugarcoat anything, and uh, and just be that NFL insider for the media, man. That's all. And you're doing a great job, man. They got you on the bid, boy. Recipe for success. Swag and surfing, man. You're doing it, brother. You in there. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You have made it. Hey, I'm going to have to go back to the table, man, up, up this contract or something, man. They got me doing a little lot over there at the stadium, man. And I'm... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, man. Yeah, can we get you pregame? Uh, really, yeah. pre before they come out the tunnel. We get your fourth right. quarter for swag and surfing. Hey, yeah, hey, <laughs> man. You're right. They got me all over there, don't they? You know? Yeah. <laughs> you people. <laughs> hey, hey, you are a key cog of game day entertainment. Michael the Burns. Right. Get him hooked yeah. up, people. You're <laughs> right, right, you're right, you're right, right. So, yeah, so as long as you, long as you, you people that recognize, man, I, I, I got somebody to go to bat for me, man. Hey, look here. My fans and me, we got you back, brother. Hey, the yeah, Boston Show family got you. Hey, they tell me. Hey, we saw him. We said, yeah, he, he'll be on the show this week. Oh, I got yeah, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I told him, yeah. you were here with us this week, as I promised him. <laughs> yeah. Well, no doubt, Mike. Hey, good. I was going to have you on the show, my brother. I'll see you Sunday on the field, man. You know how we not how we do it on the field, bro. You know how we going to do yeah, it. I'll see yeah, yeah. I'll see, you. I'll see you on Sunday, man. All right, folks. Michael Turner, the Boston Show, people. Gorgeous tan from Suntan City gives you an inner glow that relights the fire when you run into your first crush. Vicky, who is that? An old boyfriend. Lucky you just tanned at Suntan City. Lucky he's single. We're doing lunch tomorrow. Won't be single for long then. During Tour of the City, try all five tans, including spray tan for just $4.99. Restrictions may apply. Click to buy now.